I'm Whitney. I'm Mindy. And I'm Deb. We're three best friends who love nerdy things. Well, some people think we're nerdy, but we think we're pretty awesome. This is our nerdiest thing. This season, we are discussing Jennifer L. Armentrout's From Blood and Ash, all of the books in that series, plus the Flesh and Fire series as well. We are spoiler friendly, so listen at your own risk. Hello, fellow nerds, and welcome to Our Nerdiest Thing. Today, we are doing our season two wrap up and discussing From Blood and Ash and that entire series by Jennifer L. Armentrout. Before we get into it, Deborah, will you share about our nerdiest cocktail? Absolutely. I can't even take credit for this one because you made it. It's <laughs> really, really delicious. So this cocktail is called, here we go again. <laughs> it has soda water. Is that soda water, Whitney? No, just, just like Coke. Oh, okay. Coca-Cola. I, I drank it, so I didn't see what was in it. <laughs> so we actually used zero sugar Pepsi tonight. Whipped cream vodka grenadine and a lime slice and it's really really delicious so delicious that i switched really to wine so i can be coherent <laughs> we've already done i'm two on my third tonight. one so i know i was channeling kieran and the atlanteans with that here we go again like <laughs> cast is going off off oh, book man. off script here we go for our listeners one thing we're going to do in season three that's really fun is we're going to talk about what our nerdiest cocktail pairs with in the chapters so i can't wait yeah. for that yeah so like this cocktail would pair well with going off script. <laughs> asking a lot of questions. Asking a lot of questions. Right. Yeah. Here we go again. Yes. Poor, poor Kieran. I don't feel that bad for him. He though. really he really goes through it with he his friendships and relationships. <laughs> I feel like. For sure. Oh, bless his heart. Uh, so yeah, we're going to talk about From Blood and Ash and the entire series, including the Flesh and Fire books, and just talk about what we love about this book, basically, <laughs> which we've been doing the oh, entire season. It's we're just going to wrap it all up by hitting it home. We're going to put it in a little cast shaped bow right on top for you. Mm. I feel like that's very sexual and I can't quite <laughs> figure out how be very sexual. I can't I, like I, he can wrap is. me up anytime. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so let's just start with our favorite moment or favorite twist from this first book in the series from blood and ash. So I have to ask uh, if it's okay. If in some of these questions you ask us, if I have two or three, uh, I have a couple. Okay. I, have, okay, I was going to say, good. I have a few. This, I have a couple for a, really a couple good series and I can't narrow it down. It's, it's hard, hard to pick yeah. just one. Yeah. Okay. May I go first? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Favorite. My favorite moment or twist. My first one would be essentially when Poppy cuts off Lord Mazine's arms. Oh yeah. That's I know that moment. sounds really depraved, but the reason <laughs> that I loved it is if he had survived that, he would have never been able to touch her again, which I found very poetic. Yeah. And then I would say the same for Duchess Tierman when she dies later in the series, they literally destroy her body so she yeah. can never hurt them again. So I really love that. And I like the symbolism behind them never being able to get to her again. Right. Yeah. My second one is when Hawk tells Poppy, and I, I, I hate to say that this is a favorite scene, but it was like the scene for me in this first book where I was like hooked. When Hawk tells Poppy that he 
knew it. He knows it's real and that she shouldn't forget. Mm. And I knew, I knew that fucker was up to something in that moment. And we talked about a couple episodes ago that I cried because I was like, what's about to happen? This is all yeah. about to go downhill. And it did. It does. Yeah. And I, I, I think it's really good writing that I loved to hate him for a whole book after that, but still wanted them to end up together. Yeah. Yeah. Mindy, what about you? So I kind of went, Generally speaking, and then specifically, and then I have a, a bonus. <laughs> so a special mention. Yes. We, we are not concise on this podcast. Me so doing, me doing three already. <laughs> <laughs> so generally speaking, something I love about this book is all of the Poppy and Hawk banter. It's just mm, yeah. so brilliant. Uh, the the way that they interact and they connect and then they have all this sassy banter. It's just perfect. And they're funny. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes banter is just angsty in books like these, oh, no, but they're genuinely funny. Yeah. Out loud for sure. And then specifically, I love the library scene where they're talking about Miss Willis diary. I love Poppy basically heckling Jericho about his hand <laughs> all the time. <laughs> And, and I still have my hands. <laughs> yeah. And of course, Under the Willow Tree is one of my favorites. That's a good one. And then my bonus is that from the podcast, I have a favorite moment. Oh, what it's, is it? It's when we um, talked about in our nerdiest vocabulary about Jericho and the balls of Jericho. The balls of Jericho. <laughs> I survived. I created a graphic for <laughs> yes, it. Yeah, it was that, that really stuck with me. And I think I had nightmares about it. <laughs> Someone's balls cutting off my air supply. I just no. thought that was super funny. You wouldn't be able to make that sound either. Inside your own head. Yeah. <laughs> I technically only wrote down one favorite moment, but it's so broad that it's like 17 total. <laughs> uh, my favorite moment, I just wrote the great right scene. <laughs> because, I mean, we talked about it in that episode when we talked about those chapters, but just the way that JLA wrote those and every time poppy feels some kind of emotion you as a reader are right there with her and the building of the tension with um under the willow tree and then running into victor and then discovering the duke's body and then the attack like all of it is just so well written and it's very uh action-packed without feeling like wait what's happening you know I, it's just so it's well written build up. yeah i love it the yeah. tension and all the different types of tensions yeah. are just chef's kiss so speaking of tension can we talk about then our favorite spicy scene <laughs> well yeah because the tension is what makes this so good so good right? and so i have a favorite spicy scene from this book and then one from the series the whole series right yeah. <laughs> so from this book here's specifically right what i wrote down any man that can get a woman off without taking off her pants is hot as fuck to me <laughs> i mean that is so, some skill in the blood forest he gives poppy and orgasm over her trousers these yep. aren't mm-hmm. leggings they're not thin i'm picturing her wearing thick denim jeans uh, jeans yeah. yes and he is giving her an <laughs> orgasm through her jeans yeah. and to me first that's of all, a man right <laughs> first of all that tells me he knows what he's doing yes. right and it takes them a while before they have sex but you know it's gonna be great because he's already paid attention to her and shown that he's a generous lover in all of these things so my second favorite one and this is my favorite scene overall in the entire series would be when they essentially go at it in the carriage so after the duchess in book two, whenever Duchess Tierman is destroyed, they bring the Ascended in to try to get Poppy back. They, Poppy and Cass have finally come clean about their feelings to one another. Like, finally. It's taken right. two books to really yeah. get here. 
and they think they're going to die. And there is a moment in the book where she even says like, we finally just told each other and like, now it's over. And that built so much tension. And it was like, they had life affirming makeup sex. And I don't know if it gets better than that. Plus Mm. you like bent her over in a carriage, which is pretty (laughs) hot. So, but again, both of those scenes are just ripe with tension. That's really Mm -hmm. where it comes from and and the buildup. And they're both also very much in the moment very spontaneous like Mm -hmm. we're just feeling this and we're gonna go with it despite (laughs) the not really appropriate situations like to be castile where i could just like fuck anytime i want like you know what i mean because like (laughs) even later on in the books he fucks her in the garden he's like well yeah that's all right and that was my number three for the record (laughs) honorable mention (laughs) my honorable mention fucking scene so he essentially tells the wolf and he's like, we're going to need a minute. And Kieran's like, yeah, you do. And then they just go fuck in someone's garden. <laughs> you know what I was just thinking when you were talking about the carriage scene? It's funny because that scene has a lot of similarities and parallels to um, the scene with Feyre and Reese in book three of Akatar War wings and ruin where they're like the moans the moans of the dying men outside the tent while we were having sex and everyone's like oh my gosh this is so weird but in from blood and ash it works right and i think that's the it's, same thing though but they don't talk about there being dead well no people all but, around them. That's why. but there, there are, are right, right? There are. like it's Everyone's the same dead. kind of thing but i think it's the passion and the in the moment spontaneity it's that uh, life-affirming sex yeah right it and it's and it is life-affirming for Feyre and reese too but the way that that scene is written is so like slow motion jazz music background kind of you know what i mean like it's way yeah like it's it's not as spontaneous and in the moment feeling it's a lot more like tender and slow and i think that's what makes it weird yeah if that makes it's not sense. like we're we have to have each other it's right. like a, we could take our time it's not while everyone's frantic, dying around us yeah like, yeah, yeah. yes this, we're in this yeah. moment and we've got to get this done it's i will like- say <laughs> i will say one thing about the from blood and ash scene though is everyone except for one ascended is dead so it's not like people are dying around them yeah everyone's that's true. dead but in <laughs> the only moans are coming from inside the <laughs> Did Sarah J. Mass have to say in the book they could hear the moans of dying around them? And I've heard in the graphic audio that it's super weird because they're like, ah! And then in the books, they're like, oh, I'm dying. <laughs> I don't want to listen to that. Yeah, and I think... Uh... I mean, we're kind of veering off course a little bit, but I think that she wrote that in the Akatar one to give that life affirming um, feel to it. it was life affirming, but right? we don't, you don't need yeah. that. Right, and yeah. the the franticness in From Blood and Ash is what gives you that yes. life affirming feeling. Yes. Yeah. What was your favorite spicy scene with? Minus the willow tree. <laughs> I just like like it. It is Um, really, really sweet. The tension is so well written and it's very, it's detailed without being like boring. It doesn't feel like it moves super slow, even though it kind of does, right? Like that scene is several pages when really all that they're doing is like sitting under a tree and making out. Right. But it's so detailed with like how it feels physically and what she's thinking and wondering what he's thinking. And it just, I think maybe it just like took me back to 
the for, like the first major makeout like with Robbie, right? Of like I totally understand that entire situation. Like I remember feeling like that and oh, young I love ain't a grand. Heart, you know, can I tell a story, and this will be my husband's nerdiest thing of his life. <laughs> So yes, please. <laughs> my husband and I were, you know, casually dating. We hadn't kissed yet. My husband still is very sweet and innocent in a lot of ways. And his favorite movie of all time is That Thing You Do. And it is a really, you really good <laughs> doing that thing you do. Yeah, it's um, a good movie. If you've not seen it. It's a really, really cute movie. It's very much like Beatles mania yeah. is what it, it's uh, replicating. Having said that, at the very end with Liv Tyler, there's been this slow burn romance where she's dating the asshole of the pack and then the good guy and Liv Tyler get together and he asks her, when's the last time you've passionately been kissed? And my husband looked at me and said that it worked for the record. (laughs) But later on, I was like, really, dude, you could have just put your tongue in my mouth. I would have been fine with it. But it was a really, really sweet moment, but definitely something we still giggle about. And during the pandemic... That cast watched the movie like they live streamed it together and oh, talked that's over so it. Fun. Very mystery science theater. Yeah. And we sat down and watched it together and it was really magical. Oh, that's cute. That's a great idea. That's yeah, where I some love of that. the best ideas came. I mean, I know it sucked because it was the pandemic, but some <laughs> of the best, like, cool we had some stuff innovative moments. Yes. Yeah. Like when, you, when you're stuck yeah. doing that and you got to figure out something to do, uh, they had some very creative things come out of that for sure. Mandy, what was your favorite spicy scene? This one was a tough one for me. There's a lot to choose from. I know, but I actually went with like you, Deborah. I went with the blood force finger bang. Because, <laughs> <laughs> oh, because a little bit different reason than you, though. I actually love. Okay, so first of all, let me start off by saying I don't usually like to be talked to while I'm having sex mm. because it just sounds weird. Like I love my husband, but he's not a dirty talker. Shh. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the episode of Friends but where like, he's like vulva. <laughs> <laughs> but they actually kind of have a little bit of banter while they're doing this. Yeah. There's some really like sweet moments and there's some funny moments, and I just think that JLA makes even the simplest act so fucking hot like Mm, yeah this was i was so turned on and i never thought that i would be turned on by that but i was rubbing on her over her clothes how did she write that so well i know like it's one of those times where i'm like does somebody do that to you? <laughs> Please Where let us know. Imagina- yes, it's all imagination or what? <laughs> I wish I could ask all of the authors. Well, you've asked some. I know that. I have. And they blocked us on Instagram. <laughs> no, no, they did not. One author did say that her scenes were mostly husband inspired. <laughs> I was like, well, congratulations. <laughs> off, re- off the record, you're going to have to remind me who that is. I'll tell you later. Okay. <laughs> you know who I really want to know? Because this author really got me back into paranormal romance around the time that Mindy and I became friends. And it was something that we really bonded over is J.R. Ward. Mm-hmm. She loves talking about oral sex in her Ooh, books, yes. mostly for the woman. And I remember at the time being like, your husband knows how to do this. Doesn't he? Cause <laughs> she writes it really, really well. She really does. Yeah, you're just like, congratulations. Yeah. Good for you. <laughs> Good you for do, you, girl. You do you. And you're like, well, where were you this weekend? I was doing research. <laughs> research for my book. <laughs> Don't ask any more questions. 
Um, so let's talk about our least favorite moment or least favorite twist, which I feel like is hard for us with a book like this because we love this book and this entire series. I have no problems figuring this out. I, I very easily chose one too, but it's not, and I feel like all three of us, this is probably true for it's not a least favorite because it wasn't well written or because it didn't work in the story, but because it made me upset. That all three. Tell us what it is. Well, my least favorite moment is the barn in New Haven when it all comes crashing down and she realizes that Kieran is a a dissenter and that Hawk is not who he says he is and that they've been working and lying to her um, to to get her to trust them. And like she is just completely devastated. That's my least favorite moment because it just makes me upset. Not because it's not well written or that it doesn't work for the story or anything like that. It's so, so good you and know important. what I think it is? They also broke our trust as a reader. Yes. yes. Right. You're again, you're going along with Poppy, right? Everything right. she feels, we are also feeling as the reader. And that's just such good writing. Mine also kind of goes along with that. So I started out by saying the scene with Phillips. That's where I started when I was thinking about this, about how Mm -hmm. he comes to get her and he's trying to protect her. And all the guards are dead at this point. And Phillips gets crossbowed, essentially. But then it turned into essentially everyone around Poppy has ended up dead at this point. Everyone she cared about. Right. So you've got Rylan, Victor, Lauren and Dafina, Tawny who's estranged from her at this point. Poppy's brother is estranged with her. All of her guards that were traveling with her for protection are dead at this point. And she has literally nobody. I mean, not to mention that she also lost her parents. Right. Right. And she has learned that everyone in her life has deceived her. And the only person that she has, I mean, I think she kind of has Kieran at this point too, right? Kind of. But the only person she feels like she has she can't trust for anything and that's extremely heartbreaking for me but again not least favorite because i don't think it was really great in the book i think it's actually amazing but god it just rips my it sucks to read (laughs) yes yes what about you men so i do have three but they're all short and sweet and they're all because they made me feel something either sad or angry or irritated (laughs) number one when Hawk is being a dick in the barn. So same as yours. Yeah. It just really burned me. Oh, he makes me so mad. I know. Also when Duke and Mazine are violating Poppy, that just makes me want to vomit. And then when Victor dies, those Mm. were all, those all sucked. That's a tough. Yeah. Victor's death, especially I feel like is tough. Well, and I lost my dad a couple years ago. So that just hits different this time around. Yeah. Yeah. We love you, Mindy Moo. Love you all too. Um, what about biggest revelation? <laughs> There's one that really sticks out for me. Is it so, dirty? A little bit. <laughs> so what it, sticks out, Deb? Yeah. <laughs> so my first revelation, and it goes with this, is like, holy moly, Kieran's a woven. Like when he shifts in the book, even though you That's know one, yeah. something's going on at this point, like you know something bad is happening. The Kieran thing really blew me away that yeah. he was a woven. But what really bothers me about that revelation is that you find out later that he and Hawk can both smell when Poppy is horny. Oh, and yeah. that is so embarrassing. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I know that men get slack about like, 
popping up boners and like weird places and stuff. But women get horny like that too. We can just hide it. So even later on, in we the just series, get elevated uh, heart rates and right, blood pressure. Exactly. But even later on in the series, when she's telling him she hates him, but she's turned on by him, he can smell it. I personally yeah. would hate that. And also, yeah. some days I like to skip a shower. I'm just. <laughs> Oh, man. What about you, Mindy? Um, so mine are more personal re- revelations opposed to being things that are like revealed in the plot. Mm-hmm. So I don't that's kind of how I took it. But from the first time they have sex, I realized how much they talk while they're having sex. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I, like this is the Shh. first time when I when I read it. <laughs> and again, I like it, but I never realized exactly how much dialogue goes on while they're having sex. Like it's not just describing which JLA does fantastically but she weaves in dialogue where they're really like in my mind it should be in there but like maybe like i wouldn't have thought it should but Mm -hmm. it works it totally works so that was a weird real realization for me then the other one i had was i actually hadn't realized exactly how disgusting the duchess is until i really 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 read that part when she admits she knew what the duke did to poppy and brushes her off telling her she wouldn't understand why she didn't stop it. Mm. Like she is such a fucking bitch in that moment. <laughs> yeah. And like, I knew she was, but when but you I, you know really... what makes it worse is that Poppy in that moment empathizes with her. I know. And because Poppy she... still, right. Is she's okay like, Oh, he was doing it to her too. Yeah. Right. And so Poppy takes it as a like poor thing. Whereas really the Duchess was just like, so fucking what? Because Poppy's a nice person. And <laughs> right. I'm not. <laughs> that's arguable mindy you are a nice well when person. it comes to the duchess i'm not <laughs> well okay that's fair so my biggest revelation is finding out that hawk is actually prince castile because i think i mentioned before in an earlier episode i knew that hawk was going to end up being an atlantean i i caught on to the hints about fangs or whatever and i thought that he hawk was going to end up being a brother to prince castile so when that revelation happened the first time i read it i was i really was genuinely like what um that and the wolven i didn't catch that what (laughs) (laughs) that and the wolven reveal because again we're going on this ride with Poppy and the information we have as the reader is that Wolven are completely extinct, well, right? to be quite frank, they're, Kieran and Delano and all of them haven't really done anything at this point to make us think they would be supernatural. Have they? Until they turn into Wolven, right. you mean? Right. Yeah, the because only thing is Ca- just the similar eye color. That's right. the only connection. Castile, for example, she has said, like, he talks like he's older. He moves really quickly. Right. Like, he, you know, but there's nothing about Kieran or Delano where you're like, well, what's up with them? Yeah. They, but, and I mean, she talks about their beautiful eyes, but they're all supposed to be hot. So I just took right. it to yeah. surface so, level, you know. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that was that was a huge revelation for me too. But I think the hawk being Castile is always going to be my biggest one from this first. Book. So we know this this book is being auctioned by Hulu right now by the chick that does the boys, which I'm super duper excited about because it's going to be gritty, which yeah. I love because I don't want this to be like sweetened up by no, any point. No. And I don't think that Jennifer Armitrout does either. Mm-mm. But for the love of God. Do not make the wolven look like Twilight wolves, <laughs> and do not 
<laughs> figure out how to make them talk with Poppy in their heads without doing it like Twilight did. She's like, dying anyway. <laughs> I am Jacob Black, son of Afro Black. I am the awful. <laughs> and their voice gets all dissonant, you know, and I'm like, no. Don't, I can't don't imagine how that whole primal notum thing is going to come across in general. Like I don't. Yeah, they've got to. They've got to mm. figure it out though, because it's. Please don't make it corny. You I guys. know. They're going to make it like a laser beam from Poppy to <laughs> <laughs> to Kieran but, or whatever. But not like, but like a nineteen eighties like like Xanadu. Laser, like Xanadu. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever seen Xanadu. I'm thinking more of like the background of those pictures in school where they have like. <laughs> yes. 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 Is that what Xanadu? That's like? kind of Xanadu. <laughs> very very similar. That's pretty much um, it. Producer of the boys, please don't do that either. I know, right? Please, no. So, who do you think is the MVP of book one? I want to know your point of view on this mine i have an actual choice and then a honorable mention so i need to make little like awards for our people (laughs) make another graphic here we go um i think my mv well not i think i chose my mvp of the whole book to be hawk because he is hilarious i want to i feel like i mean obviously poppy is the main character Right. And so that almost kind of feels to me like, well, I need to pick somebody that's not the main character, <laughs> but I picked the second main character. So that also doesn't make sense. But he's funny. He is he is the character that is pushing the story forward. Right. Like Poppy, for the majority of this book, if not all of it, is a very passive person in this world right like stuff is just happening to her not by her choice or by her fault that's just the way that it is hawk is making stuff happen right and pushing the story forward and making things interesting and more dramatic and creating a lot of tension which makes for a good story so he's my overall pick for the mvp my special mention goes to miss willa because <laughs> her diary is a lot of great content and also as a character you find out later she is the woman in the um red pearl at the very beginning of the book that sends poppy to hawk's room so So. the reason i wanted you to go first is because i thought you might bring up miss willa because she is my book one your mvp and i i said the same thing so there's this woman at the red pearl at the beginning of the book that sends poppy to the quote-unquote empty room that hawk is in we find out later that Miss Willa Collins is actually a seer mm-hmm. and that she she knew that Poppy needed to go up there. And so she kind of pushes them together more prematurely than they would have. And also before he could kidnap her without getting to know her. Right. So I think for me, it's it's Miss Willa Collins. Hmm. I think She's that's my a great MVP. choice. Who's your MVP? Well, Mindy. I feel very basic because... I mean, come on. It's got to be our girl, Poppy. (laughs) I mean, I picked Hawk, so. She has so, so many layers. Like, she's smart. She's sassy. She kills Craven. She helps people die with dignity. She can wield a dagger. She fucks up Lord Mazine and repeatedly (laughs) puts Hawk in his place. That is all true. Yes. She's great. I mean, there is a reason we love this book. Yes. Right? Pretty much all of the characters are all really awesome characters, right? Well, it's funny that you say that about Poppy being basic because overall, my series MVP, I put Poppy would be my obvious answer. Having said that, for series, and I'm counting the prequel series as well, the Mm. Fire in the Flesh Mm. series, I have to say my series MVP is actually the Fates. So they've got... 
the very difficult job of ensuring that Serafina and Niktos actually fall in love so mm-hmm. that things can move forward. And they have to work with the victors and deal with the prophecy, right? So yeah, that's true. I looked up the prophecy and I forgot that the prophecy is actually like four paragraphs yeah. long. It's shorter than the like woman born of flesh and fire from the West or whatever East. I can't remember what it is, but I think the fates are my MVP for the entire series. They have a hard job. That's a really good point. Yeah. Mindy, who is your entire series MVP? So I actually went with Sarah on this one, mm. kind of for the same reason. I just feel like she's the one that ultimately saves the day through Poppy. When she's talking to Poppy, making sure that she sort of stays on track and in the game. I don't know. I just feel like she's one. She's got an impetus in this story that transcends you guys have really good reasons <laughs> for your choices <laughs> is yours is your series mvp hawk for his dick no <laughs> it is it is at least deeper than that my well, he goes deep don't forget that <laughs> <laughs> my series mvp actually said kieran because kieran first of all is funny that that was really important to me apparently <laughs> when choosing my mvps but kieran much like the same kind of reasoning that I chose Hawk, right? Like in the first book, Hawk is pushing the story forward. I feel like in a lot of the series, Kieran is helping the story go forward too, especially in book two and in book three, when Poppy and Castile are struggling through their relationship and not really talking to each other and like not sure how to move forward in different ways. Kieran is always there to be the glue to like help push them and support them in the right direction. And I also gave a special mention to Tawny because they're just two of my favorite characters for being supportive and not I don't want to say like on the side because they're not really except for Tawny when she's not in the books but they're they're super supportive and in tune with these two main characters right and they know these people and what they need and who they are and the trust and the love and the care that they have I just think is really really special well it's funny that you say that about his snark and wittiness and essentially he's kind of the comedic relief at times whenever when hawk and poppy are going through shit right (laughs) kieran takes up that comedic relief role Mm -hmm. so i did write down like my favorite secondary character and i did go deeper into like the later books and Mm -hmm. the prequels And I have to say for a lot of the same reasons that you just said that mine would be Reaver. Mm. So if you've not read far in the book or you can't remember who Reaver is, he's the extremely sarcastic, like prefers to be naked Draken that we see. (laughs) Right. So he's snarky. He loves to rile up Kieran and he essentially helps Poppy move into her primalness. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you would call that. Plus, in the prequel series, we get to see him as a child with Jadis. And I really love their relationship. I I feel pretty confident that we'll see Jadis later in the series. JLA has made a lot of hints that we will. And she's been brought up too many times for her not to be in the series. And I really hope that she and Reaver can reconcile. I want to see that happen. Yeah, I do too. I hope we see that in A Soul of Ash and Blood next week as of this recording i'm so excited about that who is your favorite secondary character mindy so my it's so funny that you say your your series mvps are kieran and tawny because those are my favorite secondary (laughs) characters kieran 
for the same, much the same reason. I just think he's funny. I guess he's a jester character almost. Mm-hmm. Like when you go back to like Shakespeare and stuff, he is the comedic relief. He's the the foil. I love what you said about it being he's the glue. I love that because he is. He's sort of that that go between that he's equally invested in both Poppy and Castile. Maybe not in, so much in this book, but eventually he gets there. And I just I just love him. I just think his his snark is top notch banter with Poppy and really and I love his like smugness with Cast. <laughs> like I think it's just too funny. Yeah, and he's then, not gonna put up with any shit from oh, Cast, no, which no. I love. <laughs> he's like, You may be the prince, but fuck no. <laughs> and then I, I for the same reasons I love Tony. There they're both the best friend character, right? Sometimes it's hard to get into the best friend character. Mm-hmm. They have to be written really, really well. And I mean, I, I say it every time, but JLA is just an amazing writer. And she writes these characters. They're both best friend characters, but they're so different. Even though they're both sarcastic and snarky, they're yeah. very, very, very different. You bring up a really valid point, though, because in a lot of literature, when you're reading about this, the best friend character, you're hoping to get back to the main characters. And I never feel that right. way when Kieran is leading the scene. Sometimes I do with Tawny, I'm not going to lie, but it's because we haven't really seen her for She was gone yet. for so long. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's what you're saying about they are the comedic relief, but they're not only the comedic relief, right? Yeah. They are very important in the whole plot and the characters themselves of Cass and Poppy, right? right. Like Castile would not be who he is if Kieran did not exist. And in a lot of other books, the best friend does not have that same kind of weight and that same right. kind of impact. And I think well, that makes Kieran a big difference. Well, has been through more with Castile than even his family really has Yeah, yeah. at a certain point. Right? Yeah. My favorite secondary character, I also said Tawny for the same reasons that you did. But I also said Delano because I just I knew you I would love say Delano. Delano. I know. He's just, he's so sweet. And he's, he has funny moments too. But I really like Delano because like we talked about in the scene where Jericho and all the dumbass what is it dumbass dude misfits come down to attack poppy delano without any hesitation at all protects poppy and allows and empowers poppy to protect herself right and there are not very many characters that do that for her in this point in the story i mean right off the bat he does yeah from the from the jump even though he knows who she is and who hawk is and what the plan is like he he just comes across to me like a good person Mm -hmm. and you guys know i have my theory that i think he's kind of her bonded woven even though she's bonded to all the woven i'm very interested to see how i want to see though the internal struggle when he finds out that her woven dagger is his sister i know that that's gonna have to come into play it will and i'm gonna be honestly kind of upset if he's just cool with it i don't think that he would be cool with it but i wonder if he'll have the same uh, attitude about it that Kieran did because when she meets Kieran and re- realizes he's a woven, Poppy's like, Oh, hey, about this dagger, I'm right. sorry, you know. And he says, Well, you didn't make it, did you? Okay, then yeah, we have it's no problem. When it's your sister's right. Now. But at the same time, Poppy didn't have anything to do with it yeah. being made, right? Like she had no knowledge or connection to that. And again, that came from Victor, who right. is a Victor, but. As the first victor, he remembers everything and knows everything Does, the whole do time. Do we know who made that dagger? King Jalara. Oh. Yeah. Little bitch. Yeah, King Jalara. I'm glad he got his head cut off. Made seven daggers or six daggers, and he did it to torture Malik. Was it all Delano's sister, or yes. were they different? Oh, because Delano's awful. sister, Prela, it was 
Malik's bonded woven. And she, she went to Carcedonia to try to save him and got caught and Mm -hmm. to torture, to torture her and to torture Malik, King Jalara, I mean, tortured her and murdered Mm -hmm. her and then used her bones to make the woven daggers. And Malik in war of two Queens, Malik tells Castile, I knew where all of them were except for one. And now I know that Uh, your wife has it. That's awful. I know it's horrible. What's your score or grade or star rating? For just from Blood and Ash, book one. Million stars. <laughs> I gave it five stars the first time I read it. I continue to give it five stars. I feel like we all have the yes, same. Yeah, like, exactly. it's an A+. It's an a plus. It's a five star. Right. It's, and I mean, it's, it's great. It's hard to write a five star fantasy book. Because yes. the world building can get boring. You can mm-hmm. have too many characters. You can try to to essentially bring the reader into too many of your own rules that don't exist in the real world. And JLA does it flawlessly. Yeah, she does. I feel like this is the gold standard for other fantasy books for me. Like, this is where I go back to, did I like it as much as, you know, from Blood and Ash? Did it did it hit me like that one did? Mm -hmm. I love the twists and turns in it. Kept me guessing. I discover new things every time I read it. You know, I'm not a huge rereader. So for me to reread this, like, not even just for the podcast, but I've reread it before, just because. Yeah, that that's for me, that's pretty high praise coming from me. That's kind of the same for me, too. It's definitely a five-star book. And for me, it, it is also the, like, this is the standard, right? Which is also how I feel about Akatar, which we talked about mm-hmm. when we did season one. It's the same kind of thing. Like, I think about it constantly like chills when I'm finished with the book can't wait to pick up the next one have to know what happens want to reread it all the time and you guys know when I get in like reading slumps which happens from time to time I'll go back to from blood and ash and a, there's only a couple of other books that I do that with right I know where the other ones Akatar and the bonds that tie yeah like those are the yeah. three series that I'll read over and over Mine and over would be again this in the cruel prince mm, I'll do that one too I haven't reread that one in a while the only one so I actually pre-ordered today I got Holly Black's newsletter and did you see the special edition that's coming out no I didn't see that it is like it, she said it's black like Cardin's eyeliner, but it's uh, this, this fully black, like almost like metallic book that's in like this black book sleeve. You can actually get it through Amazon, but I did pre-order that shit right away. It's beautiful. <laughs> I'm going to have It's to... only $31. It wasn't a horrible price for that's, a special that's edition. That's really good. I'm, gonna, I'm literally writing that down. Yeah, it because I looks need to great. Get what about your overall greater rating for the whole series the from blood and ash series but also the flesh and fire series all of it together so i'll be honest the main series continues to be a five-star read for me i when i go back and reread it i do begin to miss a little bit of hawk slash castile snark as we get later on but the guy's going through some shit he's not feeling super snarky at the time the first time I read the first book in the prequel series, A Shadow in the Ember, I didn't love it very much because it felt so monotonous to Poppy, but now I know why. You right. know what I mean? And when I went back and reread it for prepping for A Light in the Flame last year, I actually upped the stars on Goodreads because I was like, okay, now I know where this is going. But I originally felt like I had already read that book. Mm. And to be honest, I totally forgot that they have sex in that book. Cause <laughs> I was like, wait a second, are they about to do it? 
And I, I think honestly, I was that first time I listened to it, I was like, okay, well, Poppy's already done all this. So I wasn't really because I was listening to it on audiobook. Yeah. But if you put the prequel series in, um, I'd say it's 4.75 stars for me, which is still yeah really good right. definitely yeah. read it right yeah there's not very many series series overall that i would say that for because this yeah. is not the type of series and this is the same with akatar and again with cruel prince it's these aren't the type of series where the sequel sucks right for me fire wait what's what's the second book's name wit a light in the flame no in the main oh kingdom of flesh and fire kingdom of flesh and fire is my favorite book out of all six books that are currently Me out too. is that yours too yeah. and i think when you can make the sequel better than the original that says a lot but i i continuously think these books get better and they continue to surprise me every time one comes out yeah i agree with that and i feel that way about the flesh and fire series right because those are prequels and ultimately we kind of know how those are going to end because of the from blood and ash books right and i think that it's really difficult to write a book where your reader kind of already knows how it's going to end but to have it not feel boring to have it still be exciting and still be full of action and surprises and things that we don't see coming um because i i don't feel like okay yeah i know this already because we learned this before you know what i mean though we know where ultimately ends up she continues to surprise us yeah so there's things from this book even that talks about like white wolves and things like Mm -hmm. that and then you find out in a light in the flame that niktos actually can what's the word i'm looking for transform transform i was gonna say transfer (laughs) (laughs) he can transfer he can transform into a wolf Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of unanswered questions in the the main series that i think will get answered through the prequel series Mm -hmm. which is a really cool and interesting way to do that yeah and I felt the same way about the A Light in the Flame. I li- I loved A Shadow in the Ember, but I thought A Light in the Flame was even better. Just like God. I thought Kingdom of Flesh and Fire was better than When Blood I was prepping for this episode, though, I started thinking of Vessies in A Light in the Flame. And I have never wanted to punch someone in the cooter <laughs> so hard in my entire life. I, I was- hate... That woman. I was not pleased. No. (laughs) I remember we, Mindy, we had done Craft Weekend and I was listening to it and I came home to finish it. And that scene comes up where she catches Niktos and Bessie's together. And I was in a horrible mood for like three days. I like, yeah, she's a bitch. It was was not great. She's even bitchier than the Duchess. Mm -hmm. She's worse. Mindy, how would you rate the, the whole series? I think kind of like what Deb said some of it I started, I think I even gave From Blood and Ash a four at first because I wasn't prepared, I think, for the rest of it. And then once I read it all together as a whole, it's it's a it's a full five stars for me. It just everything's interwoven so seamlessly and I'm still guessing about stuff that it's still and but it's not something that's like left me hanging so bad. Like, OK, when I watched Lost I'm like, mm. what the fuck? Like, mm. some things got answered, some things never got answered. Yep. That's annoying. I don't think yeah. that's going to happen here. And I remember I also, for the record, for Lost, <laughs> the producers in like season three, they're like, it's not purgatory. And then it fucking totally was. was. And, then it was. and yeah. I was like, yeah. so you didn't know how it was going to end. Exactly. And yeah. you didn't want people to think you were copping but out. Purgatory is a cop out. JLA's got a grand plan. She, right. she already knows where this is going. Right. And she's giving us just enough. And answering just enough questions that she's not leaving anything hanging for too long. 
it's just genius. So since we haven't already been talking this entire episode and season about how much we love this book, let's talk about why we love the series so much. You go first. Okay, I'll go first. I it for me, for me, it's the tension, all the different types of tension, right? The romantic tension, sexual tension, action based tension, the conflicts. It's just it's such good writing. And I mean, I just I cannot get over every time I read these, how good the writing is. And that, you know, ultimately, if you're not a good writer, your story probably isn't going to be good, right? Well, and one thing that JLA, I heard her say in an interview, because, you know, before Blood and Ash, she had written 60 books. She was she was releasing like two to four books a year. And I've read a good majority of them. They are good books. Mm -hmm. Are they from Blood and Ash? No. And she will tell you this is the first series she ever stopped and like spent a lot. She wasn't like churning it out because she said she was getting burnt out. She was starting to to write. Yeah. And it shows, right? Mm -hmm. It shows that she put her heart and soul into the series and continues to do so. And I had put Whitney just to follow that up that she just has amazing world building in her books. It's fast paced enough that you don't get bored, but thought provoking enough that you think about it long after you're done reading it. Right. So personally, I will probably ball when the series is over. I know. Oh, I'll have total. Yeah. Book Mindy watched the season finale of supernatural with me and I could not keep my shit together. <laughs> oh, I was I like cried. ugly crying for sure. And like, like hiccuping and shit. And that's how it's going to be with this. Yeah. I know it is, but I think the reason for Supernatural and from Blood and Ash, the reason that people love these is the shows make you believe in magic. It makes you mm-hmm. believe that there's more in the world than what we currently see. And it makes you believe that there, it, it, there is more in life for you to discover no matter where you are. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's really exciting for me. She does a good job of, of making you believe in the magic of the world. It's probably going to sound like a broken record, but similarly, For me, it's the characters and their dialogue and how well it's written. I have to connect to the characters. If Honestly, if the plot isn't something that I'm necessarily into, if the characters are deep and and I'm interested and I'm invested in their part of the story, I will continue to read something as long as the characters are good. And her characters are so good and different enough there's enough variety in characters that you're not bored with. Like, you're not like, Oh, that character was just like that character, that other one or whatever, but also not, she doesn't just throw shit in just to throw, like she doesn't throw a character in just cause, Oh, I need a token, whatever. Right. Right. Um, every character has a purpose and if they don't, she doesn't name them. So yeah, that's <laughs> true. Right? And then the other three guards died. <laughs> So the characters and everything that goes on in this book, it has so much wit. And if a book can make me feel all the feelings, including and especially making me laugh, it's a winner for me. You know, if it can be a tragedy and a comedy, Mm -hmm. it's it's gold. Those are the best stories, right? The ones that make you feel the range of emotions, not just one one thing. So I think for me, what's most exciting, though, is literally the day this episode releases, the cast POV comes out a soul of ash and blood, which I can't wait to read. There's been so many teasers about it. And Whitney, I really loved hearing about how you're correlating the teasers to the series right now. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure you have 
something up your sleeve this episode right? i do i have one more from blood and ash story time because <laughs> a long time ago or way early in the season deb you said we need to do like a graphic or something on the final battle at the end of war of two queens because that's my graphic bitch? well this is this is it it's, it's me and my face it's a verbal graphic. it's a verbal graphic yeah so i did a deep dive into the last battle of the war of two queens to kind of set up the stage for okay a soul of ash and blood is a hawk pov but when they first started talking about this book it very much sounded like it was going to be from blood and ash from hawk's perspective right and then all of a sudden they were like just kidding it's book five of the series so it's way more than just hawk retelling what we already know right there's going to be a lot of new information so i thought it would be good to kind of set the stage where did war of two queens end where are the characters what's going on right so the final battle is actually the last four chapters of war of two queens which four i did chapters? yeah i did I not remember that, that it was Again, four it doesn't feel slow no not at all means. if anything it feels fast to me it's i can't so keep up much with what's happening yeah yes. so much is happening i had to reread stuff a few times even though i was reading it slowly and like taking notes <laughs> for, <laughs> for a deep dive the kind of setting of this final battle Castile, Poppy, and their crew have gone in deep into the blood forest to find former king of Atlantia, Malek, who is entombed and in the blood forest, which nobody knew until the War of Two Queens. So Isbeth has put a curse on Kieran, basically for uh, insurance that they're actually going to about that. That they're yeah. actually going to go get Malek's entombed self because he's not dead he's just like severely weakened and basically catatonic sort of so the last battle is poppy castile and their whole crew bringing that basically casket with malek's body in it isbeth takes the curse away from kieran actually callum does but she gives him permission to and basically they're trying to deliver malek and what they think is going to happen is that isbeth is going to try to like raise malek from being entombed and like make him be in power again and they're going to stop her from doing that but then once they get there they very quickly realize like that is not what is happening at all we've got kieran's curse is gone they deliver malek and callum basically reveals that the plan the entire time was actually to sacrifice poppy on this altar at this bone temple so that her blood would basically wake up Colas, who has been entombed in uh, underneath the Temple of Theon in Carcedonia. The readers who Colas so Colas, I had to take a second and think. Yeah, about it. so Colas is from the prequel series, the Flesh and Fire series. He is originally the Primal of Death, but he stole his twin brother's primal essence somehow and made himself a false primal of who life. Nictos. Nictos's dad was the primal of life. Mm-hmm. Colas is Nictos's uncle. Nictos's dad was killed by Colas. He's gotten. Colas was trying to take over like the entire world and give himself like full power of all primals and gods during the prequel timeline. And Nictos and Serafina ultimately are trying to stop him. And they are successful because he's entombed under the Temple of Theon in Carcedonia. So we don't know how that all worked out, but we know that ultimately they were successful in entombing him. So Callum has been working with Isbeth to teach her basically how you can wake up Colas because Isbeth hates Nictos for not letting her do the heartmate trials with her heartmate 
Malek, who is Mitoza's son. A thousand years, bro. Let it go. Right. She can't let it go. Right. Right. So she wants to destroy. She tells Poppy, I want to destroy Niktos. I want to destroy Elysium. I want to, I want to destroy everything because he took everything from me. And Colas is allegedly going to help her do it. Right. So originally the whole plan was for Isbeth to sacrifice her daughter because in order to wake Colas up and strengthen him, you have to sacrifice the blood of somebody who is related to the primal of life, who is actually Serafina. Everybody thinks it's Nitos, but it's Serafina, right? So it has to be somebody blood related to Serafina, and it has to be somebody who is loved. Their blood has to be spilled and sacrificed to wake up Colas and strengthen him. So the whole reason that Isbeth lured uh, Malek's twin brother Eries to the mortal realm to, was to sleep with him to conceive ch- a child to raise them and sacrifice them to wake up Colas. Like that was the whole point of having these kids. She was originally supposed to do that with Millicent, who is this revenant handmaiden, but Millicent needed to be ascended in order for her blood to be strong enough to wake up Colas. She was supposed to be ascended by Castile. But Isbeth had been torturing Castile and his blood was not strong enough to ascend Millicent. So that's how she became and why she became a revenant. And that's why Poppy was born because it didn't work with Millicent. So she needed to do it again. And that's how Poppy was born. Right. Ultimately, Isbeth decided that she could not sacrifice her own child because even though she's super messed up, she kind of still loves her kids. So when she found out that Malek was still an option, she decided, well, he'll work too because he's blood related to the primal of life. Like it's the same difference. So I'll sacrifice him instead. So Callum explains all of this in a very confusing way. I feel like (laughs) to Poppy and Poppy and Cass and all them are like, what the fuck? Like what? The whole time he's talking. So Isbeth takes a shadow, a shadow stone dagger and stabs Malek in the heart because that's going to kill him. And when she does that, the process of strengthening Colas starts. Now, Callum says to Poppy that when Poppy was ascended, that freed Colas. And at that point, they just had to strengthen him. Like he was already awake. He was already freed, but he was too weak. So that's, we learn in War of Two Queens, they were doing extra rites, which was basically sacrificing more people because they needed more and more and more and more and more blood to strengthen Colas so that he could be at his full power. Sacrificing Malek or Poppy, either way, was going to put Colas at his full power. So then this battle at the Bone Temple is really... You're we talking ha- about the end of War of Two The Queens. end of... Okay. I'm st- I am still at the end of War of Two <laughs> I Queens. I just am trying to make sure that I'm understanding. Yeah. No, it's a lot. It's a lot. So the whole goal becomes we cannot let her actually kill Malek because if whatever she's doing is really bad news bears, right? So we have got to stop her from actually killing him. And so that's what they're trying to do. So the battle really becomes Cass and Poppy and their whole crew trying to get to the altar to get to Malek to save him and Isbeth and the Royal Knights and all those people are trying to stop them from getting to the altar. Okay. In the meantime, when she stabs Malek, 
the whole freaking earth. There's a giant earthquake. There are cracks in the ground, like some weird juju stuff is happening. And that's basically Colas being strengthened. And so his bodyguards, which are like freaking demon hellhound dogs, mm-hmm. um, the Dakai, they start to literally like crawl out of the earth and attack everybody. So th- now, no, thank you. <laughs> right. So now not only are Poppy and Cass and everybody fighting against, Isbeth and the guards and all them, they're also trying to not die with these Dakais, right? Okay. So mass chaos, everything's going crazy. And so ultimately what ends up happening is Poppy is seeing a bunch of her friends dying from the Dakais, from the guards and all this stuff. She and Millicent are at the altar and they have to fight Isbeth to get to Malek and get the dagger out of his heart. Isbeth and Poppy end up in this one-on-one fight where they're basically just like throwing ether at each other, essentially. And like, it reminds me of the um, Harry Potter scene. In- yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It, I thought about that too. That's a really good, Voldemort and yes, Dumbledore. a good parallel. Like that's, kind of what it feels like they're just throwing power at each other and so um at a certain point poppy sees that you know she has seen hisa be killed she has seen uh, delan not yeah she's watched Mm -hmm. delano die she's watched evil die she's watched nile die she sees reaver going down she sees castile's brother malik going down and she sees um isbeth toss her sister millicent um into the wall and is not sure well i mean she's a revenant so she's probably not going to die right but Poppy gets like super crazy pissed and is like, we're, we're ending this now. At the same time, Serafina comes to her mind, right? Because she has been, she has seen this vision of this woman that kind of looks like her. And she realizes that this woman is the consort and told her what her name was so that she Poppy could say the consort's actual name and like release her from her sleep and, release her power her power right right? so poppy screams out the name seraphina seraphina and poppy have this weird like shared body shared consciousness kind of thing where poppy is herself but she can feel like seraphina's power and presence and anger and all this stuff and so in that exact same moment uh, Poppy completes the culling <laughs> and she feels pain. Um, her teeth, her canine teeth fall out and are replaced by fangs. She has wings made of ether. She's like up off floating off the ground, like her shoes fly off and um, she fully comes into her primal power. And we find out from Nectus later, she is now the primal of blood and bone, the true primal of life and death, which there has never been before so um he hints actually that seraphina is the most powerful primal for now and it seems like poppy's probably going to surpass her in power which is kind of terrifying so because seraphina is working through poppy poppy is able to kill isbeth she kills all the dakai she kills i think all of the revenants too it feels Um, to me almost like in those sci-fi movies when you see like this like clear burst of power come out yes that's how i almost envision that's kind of how it's described too yeah seraphina's power burst and her finishing the culling her own power burst she defeats kills everybody stops the madness and you know hooray we won nectis shows up at this point and a whole lot happens in this like last half of the last chapter of this book. So Nectus basically comes in and it's like, Hey guys, I'm going to dump a whole lot of information on you. And it's like, you know, classic end of a book for JLA, right? Of like, wait, 
what? <laughs> and then the book is over and you have to wait for the next one to understand it. So Nectus tells us a lot of information. So first of all, everybody that Poppy saw die, are, they're no longer dead. Serafina and Nictos basically brought them all back to life. Not only the Atlanteans, not only the Wolven, but also the Royal Guards and the Royal Knights. Because if they're going to defeat Colas, they need everybody. So they've all been brought back to life, right? Did they bring the Dakai? No, back? because those are Colas's oh, yeah, creatures. Makes. So they would yeah, not want sense. them. So Reaver is gone. Reaver took Malek to Elysium. Malek is still alive for now. Jadis is alive, but nobody has any idea where she is, where she is. Eries is alive. Eries is Malek's brother and Poppy and Millicent's father. He's alive and they think they know where he is, but we have not seen him as of the end of War of Two Queens. Mal- uh, Millicent ran away like peaced out Girl Scout and Malik was like, I'm going to bye. And he ran off after her. So we don't know where they are. If they're together, if she's ahead of him, like we don't know what's going on with them. Uh, Callum ran away when Poppy yelled out Serafina's name and Nectus is like, yeah, cause he knows what that means. Yeah. And so he's scared. Like you better run kind of thing. Nectus is explaining Colas to them, right? Cause they're like, we thought this was all about Malek. Like what is going on? And so he's explaining who Colas is and starts to talk about Satoria, who we learn a lot about in the flesh and fire books. And we are reminded in this moment at the end of War Two Queens that Ian told Poppy the story of Satoria yeah, in one of his letters that. after he was ascended when he was living in the capital. I am not remembering who Satoria So is. Satoria was a mortal woman who was picking flowers in a field for a wedding and Colas for some reason was there and saw her and like instantly fell in love with her and is she the one that like kills herself he well sort of he approached her in some way and she got scared and fell off the side of a cliff and died and so colas was obsessed with her and was trying to figure out how to like bring her back how to resurrect her which is which is how that's what led to him stealing the essence becoming the primal of life you didn't even know her right and so there's a whole thing with satoria that's a huge part of the flesh and fire prequel books but somehow ian knew about her after being in the capital so there's like a whole question mark of like what does that have to do with ian and, and what like, was he trying to tell what her what and, role yeah. was he playing and like maybe more information is going to come about that nectus is going to stay in the mortal realm to help nectus says that everything that was just done in the war of two queens all of this fighting all of this stuff freed colas they didn't actually stop anything he's not at his full power because malek was not sacrificed but colas is still awake He's still strong and he's still free. He's not entombed and stuck anymore the way that Niktos and Serafina. But we don't know where he is, right? At this point, no, yeah. I don't think we do. We don't know if Callum is with him somewhere. We yeah. we don't know. We don't know. He says, Nectus says, you stopped nothing. It has only just begun. Mm-hmm. We know that the rot is back. The rot that we see in a shadow in the ember and fire in the flesh that is now in Poppy and Cass's timeline. And we also know from the prequel books that when a God ascends and, and, or uses a big burst of power, their body has a very specific response to that. Do you guys remember what that is? They go into stasis. Yeah. They go into a deep sleep. That is the setting for the start of a soul of ash and blood. So a soul of ash and blood starts 
immediately at the end of this conversation with Nectus at the end of War of Two Queens. I'm really glad that you uh, repeated all that for me because there was a lot that I forgot. It's a crap ton of information, yeah. but that's why I repeated it because it's just like a light in the flame, right? A light in the flame starts in the middle of a conversation that a shadow in the ember ends with. That's the same way that War of Two Queens and um, Soul of Ash and Blood are set up. Like it's immediately starts right back up. Right. There's no like previously and from blood and ash you know what i mean um, well, we have you for it's that. a lot yeah. I, I mean it's a lot and so i'm really curious to see how much of the book is you know this hawk pov telling st- you know memories of the previous books and how i, I feel like that's going to be a really small part and that everything else is going to be like balls to the wall but crazy crazy action really i think badly. we're going to get a lot of memories but i think they pulled a fast one on us yeah. To yeah. make us think that it's going to be like all, you know, this whole long book of all these memories. And I think it's going to be really more about getting Poppy out of stasis. I think it's going to be and what goes next. a lot of new information. Yeah. Well, Whitney, was that your nerdiest thing of the week? Uh, I have two nerdiest things of the week. That is one of them. Yes. <laughs> okay. that, that research and uh, compiling all that information is definitely one of them. The other one I'm going to have to be very vague about because it's your birthday present. That's a very nerdy thing, too. So that does lead into my nerdiest thing of the week, because we are driving to Texas in the United States on Tuesday. And I had pre-ordered the book on Amazon, because that is just for our fellow listeners, very important for authors to get pre-orders. And I had pre-ordered it and done the pre-order incentive. And then I realized we're going to be driving when my book arrives. So I have already mapped my route to see where I can stop at a Barnes and Noble on the way because <laughs> I have to have my book. Are you not going to read like a Kindle version no, for that I, first reading? You want the physical I book the for physical the physical book reading. and I'll, I'll do audible too. That's the way I always That's do. That's funny. Cause I'm like, I want the Kindle version so I can have it immediately. Right. Yeah. 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 And then I'll, well, get a I'll wake book. up and do audible in the car until we can get to a Barnes and Noble. Yeah. But for, Same especially yeah. for books yeah. I love, um, generally I want to get like the copy in my hands. It's just like a comfort thing for me. Yeah. See, I'm just like, give it to me. I don't care what form it is. My other nerdiest thing of the week actually also has to do with my birthday because last weekend, my husband took me to this paranormal circus, which had the makings to be completely horrible or to be, (laughs) I mean, quite frankly, or to be completely awesome. And it was amazing. Zing. It was so much fun. Um, I bought this like metal steampunk mask that I want to scare the shit out of my kids with. <laughs> I saw that on your stories and yeah. I was like, ah, that's why I didn't go. <laughs> that right the there. Thing, though, you, you really would have loved it because um, it, I mean, it was, there was like a paranormal story for sure, but they had like a um, very Renfield esque comedic relief mm. that would come in in between like their big, shows essentially so it wasn't super heavy right but they had like body contortionists and aerial people and this big like metal thing that swung from the ceiling at the end this guy would like it would swing around in circles and this guy would get to the top of the circle like at the roof of the tent and then jump and hit it when it went to the bottom of the tent again i mean it was so insane um and like your stomach would drop i was gonna say i feel like i'd have a panic attack (laughs) am i about to watch someone die but they were trained professionals but it was really 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 neat i'm glad you enjoyed it it was called cirque italia if anyone's ever interested in the company (laughs) what's yours man i have two as well one of them is really kind of more 
my husband's nerdiest thing. <laughs> my husband and I impulse bought a new car this week. Um, I love my Hyundai Tucson. I've had it for a year. Love it, love it, love it. And we've been talking about going full electric. Mine's a hybrid. And talking about going full electric for a little while. And then we just found this great deal. And it was basically an even trade. So I traded in my like new car that I love for another new car that I also love. <laughs> it's so cool. This car, it's, a, Hyundai, it's a Hyundai Ionic 5. It is like the car in the 80s. So the, the guy that designed this or girl or whoever was born and lived through the 80s and they designed the car that they thought was the future car hmm. when they were in the 80s. <laughs> it is so cool looking though. But Does it have like the Tron lights down the side? It looks, it looks a little Knight Rider in the front. A little bit. And it's got very, it's got a lot of pixel, like some fun pixel accents. It, yeah, you'll have to go look at it. The The coolest thing about it, and this is this is where the nerdy comes in. The When I first walked up to it, I was like, where are the door handles? They're like flush to the, and then when you walk up to it, they pop out. And it's like a little handle. Oh, it's very I, futuristic. That's cool. Yeah. That is cool. But the other nerdy thing is more, more, more mine. So that one I share with my husband. Um. I found out this week that I was chosen to be on Emily Rath's ARC team for Pucking Wild, and I got so excited. And the really, really nerdy thing about it was, like, I definitely screamed, and I'm sure people heard it in the neighborhood. I mean... <laughs> I would have screamed, too. Dang. I, it was, like, it's legitimately the, like, best thing that happened to me this week. Yeah. And <laughs> just so the listeners know, we're going to be interviewing her yes. soon. Mm-hmm. I yeah. can't wait. Well, guys... Whitney, you and I need to read Pucking Around. You definitely I do. I know. Like, I feel like Pucking Around for me is like like the 20,000 books that you've recommended to me. <laughs> How I feel about a lot yes. of the books I read. You keep it simple for us, though. You just have the one. Just the one. Every time I read like a four star above, I'm like, you must read this. <laughs> but so for weird. the record, I'm generally... You are. It's I, true. I'm, I'm currently reading a a recommend a Deborah recommendation that I'm enjoying. It's Which Brid- one? Bridget Kemmerer's A Curse of Dark and Love. Oh, I love that yeah. book so much. And then her other series, Defy the Night, is just as amazing. There's just something really special about her books. I really am enjoying it. It's on my list. <laughs> Get to it. I was. I, I wanted to reread Throne of Glass sometime this year, and I don't think it's going to happen. No, I just. I, have, I mean, it's just huge commitment. It is. I know, but it's just there's just too many books. Um, guys, that's it. Yeah. That's it. That's a wrap on season two. We are going to take a few weeks off and be giving you some really awesome author interviews uh, for the next few weeks, and then. Season three starts on August 15th. We are starting with part one of A Soul of Ash and Blood. Yay. And then just so our readers know, after that is Laura Buckheit's A Realm of Ash and Shadow. That will be in September. And then in October, we will be reading Kimberly Lemming's That Time I Got Drunk and Saved a Demon. I can't wait. So excited. (laughs) It's going to be fun. They're all three going to be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And that's it. Oh, and sorry, it's not it. I just want to say <laughs> oh. for the listeners that make sure you're paying attention to our pre-reading checklist because some of these authors might be on for some of those episodes. Mm. Not going to say who. <laughs> you will just have to follow us on Instagram and find out. At our nerdiest thing. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.